It's Friday the 21st of February and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, following a heated debate between Democratic presidential hopefuls in the United States, we assess what's next in the race for the White House. Pete Buttigieg went for Bernie. Bernie went for Buttigieg. Amy Klobuchar went for Warren. Warren went for Biden. And everyone else went for Michael Bloomberg. Plus, we recap what we've learned this week in the world of affairs and look inside Monaco's new Austria special and its thriving wine scene. I'm Carlotta Rubello in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. And to start today's Monocle Minute, Monocle's contributing editor, Andrew Muller, recaps what we've learned so far this week. Here he is. We learned this week, and none of us more so than Mike Bloomberg, that among the meagre cohort of things that even Mike Bloomberg's fabulous wealth cannot purchase is the deference of his rivals for the Democratic presidential nomination. Bloomberg took on the other contenders in a debate in Las Vegas, scene of many a title fight. If you can stand yet another of the boxing metaphors trundled out since, but come on, it's Vegas, so it's this all gambling, Bloomberg was rather left scrabbling for his gum shield to the accompaniment of a man in a bow tie counting to ten. We have a grotesque and immoral distribution of wealth and income. Mike Bloomberg owns more wealth than the bottom 125 million Americans. Ouch. I'd like to talk about who we're running against. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. And furthermore, ouch. We learned, though the revelation will have surprised few who've been paying attention, that upcoming trade talks between the UK and the EU might be other than the amiable saunter through the daisies and tulips that British voters were promised. An especially delectable detail spotted in the EU's negotiating mandate suggested that the UK will need to, quote, address issues relating to the return or restitution of unlawfully removed cultural objects to their countries of origin. This was widely interpreted as a suggestion that Greece might attempt to leverage the UK's self-inflicted predicament to seek the return of the Parthenon marbles, one of many treasures interred in the vast lockup of stolen goods known as the British Museum. These are sculptures purloined from Athens by Thomas Bruce, 7th Earl of Elgin in the early 19th century and about which Greece has not since ceased sulking. Although, in fairness, and not that it stopped anyone else running with it, we, which is to say we who read past the headlines, also learned that Greece denies that the cultural objects clause relates to the Parthenon statues. We also learned that there are few spectacles quite so undignified as legions of self-styled social media humorists all but trampling each other underfoot in the stampede to be first to make the joke about how Brexit shows that the UK really has... ...lost its marbles.
We learned of a weirdly specific and almost impressively brass-necked example of Russia's continuing trolling of the United States. It turned out that the Kremlin-funded propaganda outlet Radio Sputnik has been cheerfully broadcasting on three stations in Kansas City, which, in the admittedly unlikely event that President Donald Trump is listening to Monocle 24 right now, is in Missouri. Disappointingly for connoisseurs of old-school agitprop, Sputnik's content these days is long on sledgehammer critique of the dysfunctions of the modern United States than it is on stirring encomiums to turnip harvests and tractor production. Here's the Russia analyst James Rogers on Tuesday's Globalist. It's part of the same stable as RT, formerly Russia Today. Put simply, it will try to sort of take the contrary view to whatever it sees as the dominant Western media narrative. It will often invite people on who don't have mainstream voices, people who would be seen in the United States or in the UK, for example, as being either to the extreme right on politics or the extreme left of politics. They are voices which are not heard in the mainstream. And the narrative that RT and Sputnik and others are trying to develop is to say, look, this is what you're not finding out. We learned that the people of the US state of Virginia have only months to wait before they may, after centuries of enforced decorum, curse in public. Since 1792, what is known as profane swearing, like there's any other kind, has been punishable by a fine, 83 cents when the law was passed, $250 more recently. Last year alone, 25 people were cited for ignoring the signs which still warn against swearing in some Virginia jurisdictions. Tragically, it is not recorded how many supplementary offences were provoked by the receipt of a swearing ticket from local constables. No goddamn longer, however. This week, Virginia's Senate voted to repeal the law, and it now awaits only the governor's decision of to hell with it. Here's Joy Ladico on Thursday's briefing. I mean, I just always say about the Americans, you must remember that basically the Puritans, the most puritanical of the English, got in boats to go over and settle in the US. So the English at that point just began to relax. The restoration happened. There was men in tights and all sorts of kind of um, uh, very lush poetry. Meanwhile, over there, it's all very uptight. And I think we always think America is this great progressive nation, but it, it most certainly is not. And we learned that the most Australian of motor vehicles, the Holden, has finally run out of road, 72 years after Holden rolled the first properly Australian-built car off its assembly line. It is a sad week for Australians, now morbidly beset by Proustian recollections of riding in Commodores, Kingswoods, Sandmans, Tiranas and Monaros. It is a sadder week for listeners to this programme who are about to spend the rest of their lives in voluntarily humming this 19. 19- 1970s vintage Holden Jingle. We love football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. You're welcome. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Miller. That's football, meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. Football and meat pies, kangaroos and Holden cars. Monocle's Andrew Muller there. The brand new issue of Monocle magazine is out, and it's an Austria special. Today, our executive editor, Josh Fennett, reports on the country's wine industry. Let's have a listen. Austria may be better known for its beer, but its wine industry is having a corking time too after a good harvest and some growing popularity abroad. 
Thanks in part to a taste for fresher, lower-alcohol wines, the star status of the Gruner Veltliner variety of grapes, Austrian wine is cropping up on wine lists the world over. Winemaking here has had its ups and downs, though. Back in 1985, a scandal crept across the nation's vineyards when it emerged that certain unscrupulous vintners were adding chemicals found in antifreeze to wine to sweeten it up, apparently. But the industry has bounced back with an unexpected advantage for the provenance-preoccupied market we now find ourselves in. Yes, today it has some of the most stringent regulations and is well-suited to small-scale organic production. Yum! Our March issue of Monocle Magazine magazine is dedicated to the Alpine nation and tough gig. We profiled five winemakers from across the country in Lower Austria, Styria, Bergenland and Vienna. Bottoms up then. This week, the Democratic Party's presidential hopefuls have clashed in a heated televised debate in Las Vegas. The billionaire Michael Bloomberg, who was debuting at the debate, faced particularly tough questions from the other candidates. So what does that mean for the future of the party? Here's Monocle's U.S. election correspondent, Thomas Lewis. Wednesday night's televised debate in Las Vegas between Democratic candidates vying for the US presidency was their angriest encounter yet. Pete Buttigieg went for Bernie. Bernie went for Buttigieg. Amy Klobuchar went for Warren. Warren went for Biden. And everyone else went for Michael Bloomberg, who, it's fair to say, buckled beneath the bombardment. Given that the field for the Democratic presidential nomination is still so crowded and the opinion polls still so fluid, it's unsurprising that the stakes and the candidates' passions ran so high. There were, it's worth noting, moments of civility amid the fray. Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar were among those to note that, despite policy disagreements, they would vote for any Democrat running against Donald Trump in November's election. And Pete Buttigieg stated that regardless of his recent attacks on Sanders, with whom he was effectively tied at the top in recent votes in Iowa and New Hampshire, he has long respected his social democrat rival. It's true, Buttigieg confessed to the Las Vegas debate audience, I was into Bernie before it was cool. This is a difficult moment for the Democrats. How do you chase a presidential nomination, in which, historically, you must challenge and attack the record of your rivals without shredding the standing of the party as a whole in the process? Despite the anger at play, it's worth remembering that the Democrats are, arguably, in an enviable position. The group of presidential candidates currently standing before voters is strong, qualified and diverse. That is something to be embraced. Highlighting the diversity of candidates and therefore reflecting the electorate back on itself served the Democrats well back in the 2018 midterm elections, in which more women and people of colour were elected to Congress than ever before. That's the balance the candidates left in the Democratic presidential race must remember now. Going negative will serve Donald Trump well in his re-election bid. Negative campaigns tend to drive down voter turnout, which will be crucial in November, as Hillary Clinton found to her cost in 2016. 
Whether the Democrats left in the race have successfully balanced the need to challenge their rivals with that of elevating the Democratic Party in the minds of the electorate will be tested by voters in Nevada tomorrow. My thanks to Thomas Lewis. Elsewhere on today's agenda, Iranians are voting in parliamentary elections today. There have been 11 such elections since the founding of the Islamic Republic in 1979. But reformist candidates won't be taking part following an intervention by the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. It is safe to assume this contest, if we can even call it that, will deliver a landslide on low turnout for the country's fundamentalists. Art Basel, Hong Kong's cancellation over the coronavirus outbreak dealt a blow for contemporary art fans in Asia. But it's not the only show in the region. Today sees the opening of Art Fair Philippines, which takes place in a multi-story car park in upscale Makati. There's also a new film section and increased international participation from Japan, Taiwan and around Southeast Asia. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Carlotta Rubello. The Monocle Minute returns on Monday. <laughs>